welcome everybody back to the Domcast episode 25. We are here at 1.30 a.m. Eastern on April 20th. I'm going to say April 25 just to keep the theme going. It's the 25th. We ain't, ain't got to be extra. We are here for the podcast that will be covering what has happened since Thursday. Because if you notice, I didn't do one for game threes. I was doing it game by game at first, game one, game twos. And then the weekend came around and I was like, yeah, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> I did. I released that podcast on Thursday. And for me, if I would have dropped that next one for game threes on Saturday, most of y'all wouldn't have even seen the Thursday one. And then it would have been outdated like pretty much a couple of hours later because the game fours came on. So once weekend basketball hits, it's literally all day. It's like Christmas Day basketball, but two times in a row. So I'm pretty exhausted because I watched damn near everything. I watched some of it closer than others. I rewatched some stuff to get a better look at it. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to cover each individual game, just uh, really doing a series check-ins at this point because some of them are effectively over some of them are a long way from over and regardless they're all really interesting well yeah there's some interesting things in pretty much all of them but as usual i only have uh you know things to say about about certain ones because even you know if your team fell down 3-0 at this point you, you're still cooked in my eyes unless Doc Rivers wants to give us another special. This podcast is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. So rate appropriately. If you're on Spotify, it's the little stars up there. Apple Podcasts. I can actually see the written review. So that's pretty cool. And YouTube, the like button always helps. By the way, if you're on YouTube, the like button, no, no bull. It actually does something cool. If you're on mobile, at least, and you press like, it's actually a little animation that happens now. I'm not sure if they're going to keep it, but yeah, it's not, it's not one of those Twitter scams. It actually does something when you press it. So. That's uh, that's something cool that YouTube has done, uh, even if it's far and few in between. Well, let's go ahead and get into this because the good games are not far and few in between. We're going to start with Memphis and Minnesota, which by actually, you know what? That game does not happen till Tuesday. So, yeah, you have a full day to hear this before it possibly becomes outdated. Games three and four took place. This series is all knotted up at two games apiece, headed back to Memphis for a fifth game. And man, this is uh, its a better series already than I thought it would be. It's definitely a better series than I thought it would be. Minnesota came out from the very beginning with the Grizzlies energy. They continued to, to scheme against Jaw the way that they did in the regular season in the playoffs. And it's worked so far. On the other side of that, Memphis has moved closer towards a Clipper scheme and guarding Cat. I'm going to talk about how he found his way out of that because that's really the stories of game three and four. Um, but yeah, regarding Cat, I just had to point it out because it was really interesting in game. Um, pretty sure it was game four. And the Wolves were doing what they've done the entire season thus far. When they go, when John Morant uh, has the ball at the top and their screen's coming. They have had Cat at the level of the screen or just playing really high up like almost every single time. And I thought I was losing my mind for a second because um, was it RJ commentating tonight? Pretty sure RJ goes, oh, why is Cat that high up? And I was just like, hold on, do I need to go rewatch all the footage that's happened between these teams in the 2022 season? This is how they've guarded it the entire series. And it's worked. It's still working. Right now, out of six total games played, uh, uh, well, actually, it's more than six. Now they played four times in the regular season. They played now, uh, gosh, four times in the postseason. Jaw has had two good shooting games, two effective shooting games against against that defense. 
that's a big big thing that's going on right now but yeah i just thought i was losing my mind a little bit because um anyways rj is cool we're not here to slander rj he's one of the cool commentators we, we can let him slide for not watching minnesota basketball it's fine um I, I only have smoke for for certain certain personalities that don't watch but talk anywho i wanted to show y'all outside of jaw struggling this is a really really big problem for the grizzlies right now you look at something i know i took a screenshot of y'all not gonna tell me i didn't here we go d'anthony melton for the whole series so far through four games two of 14 from three zaire williams three of 12 from three jaron jackson jr six of 19 from three john morant three of 11 from three desmond bain 19 of 39 <laughs> Desmond Bang, will you? He's doing everything he can, bro. Desmond Bang is fighting for his life, trying to uh, keep Minnes keep Memphis in it. Because that's the interesting thing about this series as we head to Game 5. Minnesota has been in the driver's seat for the majority of three of these four games so far. They won Game 1. They won Game... Uh, sorry, it's 2-2, it's right? So they won Game 1. They were in the driver's seat of game three and just let it slip at the end. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And then they controlled this game pretty much until the end as well and they won it. <laughs> That's the difference between this and a Brooklyn series. It's because I was in my Discord earlier for one of the rare times I, I ever have time to be in it. I was saying, it's just Minnesota, uh, sorry, Grizzlies are very lucky to not be leaving 3-1 right now. Someone was like, oh, well, you could say the same thing for, for Boston. They, they could be... 3-0. No, it's not. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. They could be the ones down 0-3. It's not the same thing because Boston, as we'll get to later on in the pod, they're winning those games because of clear exploitable things that happen multiple times each game. And they're clear advantages that we talked about before the series even started. They're winning those games based off of those advantages and it's happening over and over and over again. And so even if the game is close, yeah, okay, they were fortunate to win game one for sure. But everything after that is just pure execution. And they have a clear advantage. Problem with this series being tied and while I'm kind of fearful for the Grizzlies is because they it, it's not the same for them. There's not much that they're exploding from the Wolves and getting these wins. They are moving closer to where they need to be, or they even did move to where they needed to be in terms of guarding Cat in Game 3, but then the Minnesota Timber was simply adjusted in Game 4. So I think it's a little bit less... I show a little bit less favor to a Grizzlies team that feels like they're a bit more on the ropes, whereas I've never I've never really felt that with Boston. There's clear things that they can go to, even with the adjustment that Nash made there at the uh, third or fourth quarter. No, there's, there's still been clear things for them to go to in that. So, for instance... In this Grizz series, uh, as we were just talking about with the, the screen, Jean Morant not being able to get two feet in the paint for the most part. And he's a 34% three-point shooter. So that's not enough for a coach to really be afraid of what you can do out there. Therefore, you prefer him taking those shots. So 34 is below average. Um, it's an improvement from where he was in his career, but you look at it, he's only making about two threes per game throughout the entire season. You, so you live with that in terms of, and as opposed to him leading the series in, in point paint score points in the paint score. And it's very tough right now because if it's not in transition, if he doesn't catch Minnesota slipping and turn the corner, he just does not get there. Uh, he's discouraged from getting there. The paint is packed. Guys are helping over. They're shading over. Um, you know the, the screen coverage that we talked about. It's very tough 
because he doesn't have a whole lot to fall back on. He does not have a certified superstar mid-range game to fall back on. And I, even though I think he should probably start taking more threes, if he does start taking more threes, that's right into the Timberwolves hand. As a matter of fact, they would probably rather him take more threes than pass to the open guy or, or pass to a cutter or throw a lob. They would probably rather have him shoot off the dribble than do any of those things. Which is why you don't see him chucking up six, seven threes a game. Um, so Jaw has effectively been, I don't want to say shut out of this series, but in uh, terms of comparing it to what he did in the regular season against other teams, he has been significantly snuffed. He has been significantly snuffed. Uh, as I said, he, he's had one great game against them this series. A lot of that involved transition. And he, I don't really know with the current limitations, just the fact that guys out, the rest of the shooters on the Grizzlies aren't necessarily doing their best right now. And he can't you know, do his best. I'm not really sure how you adjust it and figure that out, which I will sound like a broken record is why I said, even if the Grizzlies win, I thought he would be a better passer this series than he would be a scorer. So there's that uh, Desmond Bain obviously can shoot, but right now he is almost the sole source of shooting. So, and he's almost, a, he's almost damn near the, the sole source of aggression right now as it stands as well. Uh, Jaron Jackson, you just need a whole lot more from Jaron, bro. You got to get a whole lot more from Jaron because not only is he, and <laughs> when did I, which podcast did I say I was worried if it came down to Jaron Jackson uh, being one of the guys that really needed to hit shots? I was worried about that. Well, I, it looks like I had reason to worry. He's, he's hit the backboard on some of these, like just straight up ricochet off the backboard on some of these threes. But on top of that, he is fouling, which goes with what he was doing during the regular season. He fouls quite a bit. But it's bad right now because that whole defensive scheme on Cat kind of depends on him being able to come over as a help defender. So, as I said before, the Grizzlies have gone towards, okay, Steven Adams, even if he sees a couple of minutes per game now, uh, Steven Adams sits most of the game. So, we're putting, not we, I'm not a Grizzlies fan. Um, they're putting Dylan Brooks, you, you put your body on Cat, or Brandon Clark, you do it or whoever's in the vicinity but they're a smaller body kyle anderson y'all put your body on cat and there will be help coming there will be a trap coming there'll be a double coming and we'll try to take cat out of the game that way problem that you saw in game four is when cat starts making quick decisions and he gets the ball and he goes and your last line of defense is is happy hands and jaron jackson goes up he fouls or he gets called for a foul whether you agree with it or not he's fouling a lot and once that breaks down, that moves up That moves up the rotation. That gets you into a position like they had in game four where Xavier Tillman is guarding him. And Cat can blow by Xavier Tillman. Tillman had a great game in the one that the, the Grizzlies won at home. That was very nice. They hadn't even used him at all. Um, you know, they brought him up off the bench. And he, he had a good game there. But when Cat is aggressive, he's, he's blowing by him. He's blowing by him. And if Jaron Jackson is not the help... Uh, you know, pretty much just just pray, basically. Maybe somebody else is fouling him, or you're just giving up a layup. And so with Carl Towns in game three, it was a situation. I, I think it was a combination of things. It, to me, that was where you officially saw Memphis go all the way to that defensive strategy, at least from what I saw. That was one thing, but the Wolves were leading so significantly without really going to Cat or getting anything from Cat. So by the time they needed him, and by the time the game started to get close, 
he was already in foul trouble. And he's one of those guys, it really seems like it bothers him. When calls aren't going his way, it seems really easy to mentally frustrate Carl Towns. And he commits bad fouls sometimes. He makes bad decisions with the ball. He he will get it and take too long to make a decision. Or if he's trying to, to get position, he'll stick his arm in the dude's face and offensive foul him. It's happened since the play-in, it's happened more than a couple of times. And so I thought in game three, where he only took four shots, it was basically a thing of, oh, shit, Grizzlies are coming back. All right, let's try to let's try to do some things now. Cat, you've we've been winning without you all game, but here we go. Now we're going to now here, here go your reps against this uh, this defensive strategy that basically took you out of the playing game. Here goes your reps now. It's a little bit too late at that point. And so he missed a lot of that quarter. Memphis went on a furious run. I question when the timeouts came and why they took so long, but it is what it is. Um, they <laughs> came back twice in that game from 20 down. And uh, that was a really, really important win. That was a really gutsy win. That was a contender level win. You, you're on the road. You're on the ropes. And you basically do the impossible. Did they hold the Wolves to four points in that quarter something it was it was disgusting it's disgusting work so but shout out to cat though for for coming back into game four and shout out to the wolves for not being destroyed by that because being that that was a young team i was thinking man they might come in and memphis might have might say okay we found our stride now i i was just preparing for the possibility that the timberwolves kind of j- just fold hell just fold you you could have had the series lead now your backs against the wall uh, they responded appropriately. They built another lead and they adjusted. So instead of just giving Cat the ball in the same place every single play, and again, it does help that Jaron Jackson was getting into foul trouble. First of all, Cat was making a lot quicker decisions. So when he got the ball, I, I saw there was a couple of plays where he just got it and went, you know, got it and turned and, and found the cutter for a dunk or turned and attacked and drew a foul. That was infinitely better than catching the ball outside of the post and mid post area and just kind of looking around and waiting to get trapped and then throwing a simple pass that your your team may or may not hit because at the end of the day the grizzlies are happy if cat if that's all he's going to do is be a hub he's just going to post up and pass the ball out he's going to post up and wait for a trap and pass the ball even if it's an open shot for patrick beverly or it's an open shot for whoever else they're playing off of or it's a cut you're happy if Cat's not being aggressive. So he was being aggressive in those situations. But then they were also putting him in different places off the floor. You saw him a, a little bit on the on the wing, on the three-point line, making quick decisions to shoot the ball there. So it just opened up the game for him. And it was less about him having to get the ball in a certain place and attack. He got it in multiple places and he was able to put up a playoff career high. So way to respond. Way to respond. Uh, big, big win. Tied the series. And you're, you're going back to Memphis at both teams now it's it's just it's it's a chess match it's a back and forth chess match um the thing that i'm interested in now is minnesota you know cat has had a couple of good games now cat has had a couple of good games and when you come out and you try the same thing next game if you're memphis putting doubles on cat uh guarding him with with smaller guys and he knows that he just got to get it and go and be aggressive if you get Jaron Jackson back in foul trouble, you're taking him out of the series on the defensive end and offensive end. You're literally taking him out of the game, taking his effectiveness out of the game. Jaw is already far less effective than he was. It's getting, it's dwindling down to Desmond Bain beating you, which 
considering the other players on the roster and how good Memphis has been as, as a unit all year, I'm happy with those odds. I'm happy with those chances. Uh, I'm saying this is a series that can go either way now. I had Memphis in six, so technically this is right in line with where I thought the series might go. But the way that it's happened, the way that it's gotten to a 2-2 series going into five, I'm like, ah, well, yeah, the Grizzlies have a lot to figure out. Like, our shot's going to fall. And is Jaw magically going to... It's like it, it could easily happen in game five that Jaw shoots more threes and has a better three-point shooting game, and that'd be the difference. They end up winning by four, and Jaw had three or four threes. Could end up being something as simple as that. But um, it's... It's it's troublesome because also on the wolf side, if I am Finch right now in game five, I am and I hope they see this on film. I'm relentlessly attacking John Morant. I'm sorry. That's not a player that that Jenkins is going to be able to hide. Can't take him off the floor. He They really need a lot more than they're getting from him and they're not going to bench him. Jaw is not a good defender, bro. I don't know what film Michael Wilbon and Stephen A. Smith are watching when they told y'all who haven't been able to keep up with the Grizzlies that Jaw is a good defender, but he's not. He jumps really high and he can block shots sometimes and he can do cool things like that. Yeah, he'll snatch one off the backboard and a chase down. But so, OK, maybe he can you know, as a point guard, maybe he's a decent shot blocker. He can do some highlight blocks. He's not a good defender. He's not good off ball. He doesn't pay great attention to detail when he's off the ball uh, in situations that he should probably help in or shade over in not great there and then on ball as uh, i don't was it on this pod did i did i get to mention on the pod that patrick beverly uh was in game three now i was in minnesota so i probably didn't did i yeah patrick beverly just driving into the paint getting feet into the paint anytime he wanted now Patrick Beverly is not the guy that you want driving and kicking. He's not the guy that you want driving into the paint just because he can. So I'm looking at Morant right now and going, okay, we got Anthony Edwards. We got D'Angelo Russell, but specifically we have Anthony Edwards. Come here, Jaw. Switch. <laughs> Switch. Get Jaw's man the screen, whoever he's on at that play. Get, get screen. Try to force the switch and get Ant going early. Because uh, you can get Morant in foul trouble too. Morant was in foul trouble this game. He had some, you know, brain dead fouls, uh, and almost picked up his fifth at the end of the quarter. That ended up being a good gamble, but still, it was it was mighty dangerous. And I would a hundred percent, I would not attack Jaw with with Pat Bev with Pat Bev because that's just not his game. Uh, Beverly's there for for defense and antics and you know those game changing uh, energy shifts, all that good stuff. But as far as who I want the ball with and attacking, that's a great way to get Anthony Edwards going quickly. And if Memphis is trying to scram him out of those matchups, Memphis is trying to struggle to keep him out of those matchups. All of a sudden you create other you create angles for other guys. You potentially open up some other shots, maybe open up some cuts because they're trying their damn hardest not to switch Morant. Uh, on a guy uh, on a guy who's maybe scored six straight points on him i'm just coming up with scenarios in my head this is just things that i would probably do to now that this is a really close series and a really winnable series on either side that's probably where i'd where i'd go with it but yeah this is this is going to be great game five is going to hinge on things like that um, and cat's aggressiveness and 
if the Grizzlies can get into transition, the one good thing they've had going for them so far, Brandon Clark, uh, one of the keys to them being able to play small ball, he's been good in be- in terms of being able to, to slip screens and really just be a, a connector for, for the offense, but be much better as well if he's slipping screens and not only scoring, but hitting shooters that are knocking down shots, which is, again, that's why the series can go either way, because there's a lot of things that Memphis can get better at, and all of a sudden, these losses that have happened by a couple points become wins that happen by a couple points. It go either way. But man, this is a really, really good series. A really good series, and um, I like Cat, man. He's a cool guy. Pretty sure he's a cool guy. He does not... I, I just really think the culture of this team should be left up to Anthony Edwards and Pat Bev. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. Because that, that interview was comedy. After the game, that interview was comedy. The Anyways... Yeah, so that, that's really all I have to say about Memphis and Minnesota. Um, I have no prediction who actually, who's actually going to win it. This could literally be six or seven either way right now, the way it's going. Who figures out the X's and O's uh, the best first? That's it. Who finesses a couple more threes first? That, that's literally it. The Dallas Mavericks and the Utah Jazz continued their series. They are tied. They got Luka back. They lost. They are tied. Those are not things i thought that i would be saying coming out of utah this has become an interesting series Jalen brunson once again scored 31 they took the jazz apart in game three even though they came back uh yeah they were still doing the same things and they won game three kind of how we thought they would and they probably would have won game four the same way but luca came back and he was effective as he will be in this series the jazz their defense is left to the hands of Daniel House. And I, I actually like the Hurt and Gomez minutes, to be honest. Um, yeah, he hit some threes. I see some effort from him on the defensive end, which is more than you could say for most of this series for Utah. But specifically in game four, I will say, at least for the parts that I was really keyed in on, looks like Utah was giving more effort on defense than they had the whole series. Which is all I was wondering, because when you have a team and an organization with coaches and you watch film together, my question was, as a professional team, how do you watch what happened pretty much the first three games and just go like, all right, and just go back and do it again? I just didn't understand that that part of it. It kind of seemed like it would be pointed out that, hey, y'all are being turnstiles or there's not there's not effort here and th- they're getting threes the same exact way. So I just kind of felt like they were that would be addressed. It it was addressed. The Jazz are also uh, giving their their small lineup with Eric Pascal some minutes, so that's interesting. But what specifically stuck out to me was them actually making rotations. Was them actually making Dallas think? Like I said in the pod, without without the use of mostly a zone, that was kind of the section where I was where I was talking about that. I was saying I just want Utah to make them actually, you know, fear on offense that they could be stopped or actually have to make an extra pass. And so that did happen, but Dallas fans tried to get me out of here, man. I look, I get being tied up with the with with the Jazz is very stressful. I'd be mad as well. They really tried to get me out of here for a simple observation, and I it was pretty much my fault. Like I completely forgot that when you know when you're on Twitter, there's not enough characters for you to explain everything. You assume a certain amount of like limited critical analysis, and it's just not there. But Basically, what I was saying, and I, th- I felt the same way after I rewatched it. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to rewatch this game anyway, so maybe I'll maybe I'll understand their frustration afterwards. 
basically all I said was I felt like in crucial times, well, what I meant anyways, was that in crucial times of this game, of game four specifically, I felt like Dallas having Luka go ISO wasn't as, I don't know if effective is the word for it. It didn't feel, uh, Dallas's offense didn't look as well oiled with that as it did the last few games where Jalen Brunson was able to turn the corner on guys. Spencer Dinwiddie was able to turn the corner on guys and they were just able to get open three after open three. Now I realize again, Utah's defensive activity went up in the first half and Dallas was not having the same luck with threes falling either. But also I was not saying, oh, even with Luca back, Jalen Brunson has to be the first option. That's not at all what I'm saying. Obviously that's not what I'm saying, but this is where things finally come full circle because the very last Mavs Jazz matchup that they had healthy, I believe when the Mavericks were in Utah, that was where I really started to key in on this as a playoff matchup. That was where I asked the question about Rudy Gobert's ability to be able to be switched on to Luka and not stop him, but stay in front of him and not give up other open shots because Luka's not that quick. Now, does that mean that Luka's not going to score? No. Luka's very strong and very crafty, so he will put his 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 shoulder into to Rudy and, and knock him off and hit a little floater. He'll get to the paint still, and then he'll hit step back threes, or he will or he won't, but he'll take the step back threes. So yeah, Gobert's not gonna not in a good situation being switched on to him, but they are more comfortable switching him there than they are on a smaller, quicker guard. And so then maybe you don't have him permanently in drop coverage, which inevitably ends up giving up other shots. And so Luca was still scoring. Luca did all those things. He got to the paint. He hit his step backs. But it just felt like it really slowed Dallas down from where they were. They felt really they felt really well oiled before that. And it slowed them down. Although the way they lost the game, that's not why they and I made sure to type that out as well. That's not the full reason that they lost. The game ended with Luka giving the Dallas Mavericks a four-point lead by hitting, literally hitting a step back on Gobert. Then after that, it was, uh, you know, free throw, free throw match, which was kind of a mess. Even then, that last play, so there's a couple of, there's like two plays there at the end. First, there's one near the end where Luka has Gobert on the switch, and he's just kind of dribbling around in his stationary ISO, ISO bag. And with about five seconds left, he rifles a pass to Jalen Brunson. That's where Brunson drives in and misses a layup, which nine times out of 10, Brunson is not going to miss that layup. He just missed that one. Yeah, that was that was shit luck. But it's like that was there the whole play. That drive, that matchup that they've been doing this series, that was there the whole play. But it took until the last few seconds because Luka was just kind of in his iso bag he was just kind of dribbling back and forth and then they and then they threw to that which okay again luca hasn't played in two weeks now uh they're prop they're all adjusting to this brunson was literally in in a in a first option role in a primary role for the this series to start this series so there's some reacclimation that has to happen there all right i can buy that and and then that last play that ended up putting dwight powell on the free throw line that was uh Basically, them sending two to the ball. Luca read that the trap was coming, which is normally how they create open threes. Uh, but he read that the trap was coming, and he slipped that pass down there early to Powell, who was then fouled. But that's what the Jazz wanted. Powell did not hit. I believe it would have been Brunson on the right wing, uh, wide open for three. 
I tried to take it up to the rim instead, and basically you lost a free throw contest with Rudy Gobert there at the end. So Utah, the value of not calling a timeout is free throw. Donovan Mitchell lobbed to Rudy Gobert. The defense didn't have time to set up because otherwise they probably <laughs> probably would have been able to stop that. And uh, last play, the last play was lit almost identical to the one that won Dallas the game against the Brooklyn Nets about a month ago when Spencer Dinwiddie hit that game winner on the right wing. It's pretty much the same thing. Uh, Dallas was not going to let Utah. Dallas, sorry, Utah was not going to let Luka get that shot off. They were not going to let him be the one that beat them. And uh, it was it went to Spencer Dinwiddie way too late. And so, yes, there was Dallas could have easily walked away with that win, even with how they played in the first half. Luka gets full credit. Once again, he pretty much brought them back. A lot of his ISO scoring ended up, ended up bringing them back. But it's I, I try to look at a lot of process things, not just whether there was a bucket scored or not. I try to look at a lot of process and the Mavericks did seem overall, in my opinion, harder to guard in games one, two and three than they did with with Luka back at crucial times again Luka's going to get his but it's just like those couple of plays um you know just like Luka made one of the step backs he missed another one of them it's I'm still going Dallas I'm still going Dallas because I get that it's going to take time now you're adding you know they they did have a I think the game even started with a Luka to power lob that's something else that you're adding back into the offense. You're adding Luca's entire ISO ability back into the offense where they were getting into a pretty good groove without it. You're adding all of that back uh, mid-series. So I expect it to, to look better. Um, but then you also wonder, hey, what is this it, it, for the for games that are finishing within four points? Uh, what does this do with defense? Because now if you're Utah and you're looking for holes and you're looking for weaknesses, one of them, I think they're going to do quite a bit, which they tried a couple of times in this game is get Luca switched on to, to Donovan Mitchell, get Luca switched on to whoever has the hot head. Really Jordan Clarkson was hitting buckets this time. So that really helped. Uh, that really helped Utah even building the lead that they had. But also I feel like with Luca out again, that's what I said. The one thing that that didn't affect really for Dallas in a negative way, it was their defense? Because um, I'm not really sure. Not really sure there was a for sh like a 100%. Yes, we're we're just gonna attack this guy without him on the floor. I expect to see Donovan Mitchell. I expect them to. I expect to see them trying to get Luca as much as they can, especially since he's just coming back from an injury. I think they're gonna be trying to do that as much as they can, just because you got to be looking for something. Uh, but Utah, to their credit, they looked better. They definitely looked better in this game. Um, on both sides of the ball, they looked a little bit better. I am curious, going back to Dallas, if you're not getting that Jordan Clarkson spark plug, does it fall right back to where it was? But again, if you're Quinn Snyder, you have to you have to look at Luka as an, as an option to, to attack because as much as Donovan Mitchell was trying to create out of randomness in these first few games, well, now you can get him you know, turning the corner a bit. And you might not get put in prison because Dallas has had some really solid defensive possessions where they just kept Utah on the perimeter. And, uh, you know, maybe they can start creating some threes of their own. Maybe, maybe if they can get into that bag, maybe. But yeah, now this is a series because the games have been close. Now this is a series of how quickly do they readjust to this? Because options one and two are now options two and three. And Luca adds a lot of different things that you weren't doing for the first half of this series. So does that end up costing you certain possessions? That's the one thing. And uh, for for Utah, it's, you know, do you finally start 
get off to a good start. Again, they got off to a better start in, in game uh, four. I'm not sure if I've been saying game three. They got off to a better start in game four. Got off to a better start. Guys hitting shots. They don't immediately find themselves in a, trying to dig themselves out of a hole and hoping Dallas misses shots. Um, I'm still going down with Luca back. I just feel like they're going to be able to figure that out. I feel like Dallas has more to attack than Utah does. So I would get them finishing this in six. Now, my original prediction was Utah in six because I did not think Luca was going to make the return as quick as he did. But I am interested, though. I am interested. I am interested just because I felt like having Luca out there took them out of what they were doing just enough, just enough to, to make that game as close as it was. Um, and if that completely confuses you because you watched it and you were seeing him completely go off, just go back and, and watch the pacing of what I'm talking about, the pace of the offense, um, the ISO possessions, that type thing. And compare it to, to Utah like running and ducking for their lives in the past few games. Luka's going to get 30 or 35, but is that as beneficial for Dallas's offense in this particular matchup? All right. Well, we'll see what happens. We will see what happens in game five. Oh, gosh. Yeah, there's going to be a game five in Dallas. Sorry, Golden State and Denver. Yeah, so it's actually going to be in Denver. Um They staved off elimination. This is one of those series, like I said at the beginning, I don't really have a whole lot to say about just because they went down 3-0 they're not gonna win four straight unless there's just injuries or a mighty collapse not going four straight but uh yeah golden state did what they did in game three denver has played a little bit better at home um, they came back and and won that one there at the end they tried the same thing in game four and people want steve kerr's head <laughs> they want his head for lineup decisions um one of the moments where Golden State, I believe, was trying to take the lead at the end. They had plenty of time and they threw a lob to Andrew Wiggins, which was uh, completely read by Nikola Jokic. Jokic told them the lob was coming. They prepared for it. Austin Rivers took it out of air um, and they the, the Warriors just neglected to defend Monte Morris. This is one of those games. You remember I said the Bulls at the beginning of the sorry, the Bucks at the beginning of the Bulls series were trying to finesse them as just like, oh, we're more talented than they are. We're going to win regardless. That's the attitude the Bucks seem to be bringing into that game. I kind of felt that way in game four for, for Golden State and Denver. They were up 3-0. They were down most of the game. Uh, Steph Curry was not hitting shots. He even missed free throws in this one. But he's not you know, hitting his threes. Even the wide open ones, he's not hitting. And it's still we all had the same feeling. When I saw that it was about the lead was around like 12 points in the first half, I was just sitting there going, oh, that's not enough. <laughs> that's not enough. The question isn't uh, when or if Golden State's going to erase this deficit, it's when. They erased it as, as we saw that one coming, but it just kind of felt like on the defensive end mainly, it just kind of felt like they were they were chilling. You know, they, they were chilling. How many shots is Monte Morris really going to hit? Oh, he's going to hit down here. All of them. Okay. Uh, well, that's just enough for Denver to escape with the win. And uh, obviously, that's probably not going to be the case going forward. Be really surprised if Golden State doesn't end up closing this out. Uh, so I don't really have many concerns. Jokic getting his numbers, doing everything that he normally does. And so many of these games have felt similar because it's Denver being able to hit some shots to start 
the game or being able to hang with Golden State or even being able to build a lead, or build a decently sized lead. And us as viewers just going, well, they're not going to be able to hang on to it. Jokic is cool and he's probably going to end with 30 plus, but they're not going to be able to stop Golden State long enough. And on the offensive side, they're not going to be able to hit enough shots consistently enough to, to make this stick. And it's felt like that's been the script for a lot of games. Only differences in Denver. Uh, the Warriors hadn't really pulled away after evening the score or whatever. They hadn't really, really pulled away. So it hadn't gotten ugly. Um, but hey, yeah, shout out to Denver for going out with pride. They The internet was ready for a Jokic pack. They were extremely ready for that Jokic pack. It did not come. They were ready to say that your repeat MVP got swept. Uh, da, 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 da. Well, yeah, maybe gentlemen swept. And but I, I just see the Warriors coming out way too focused and more focused, cleaning up some of the defensive rotations in game five. And that should probably take care of that because offense is going to probably take care of itself. Shout out to Clay Thompson hitting shots and doing things off of this injury. He looks looks good, man. I, I just don't have a lot to say about a series that went through. That, I'm sorry. <laughs> like I said, there are there's other podcasts that will. Um, help you with that and go full in on series that probably don't need to be gone full in on like the philadelphia is that where we're going bro this this thing just fucked itself all up this app this game time app because i'm trying to go in order i'm trying to be a good person uh oh the next one is heat hawks all right cool we'll take that one then yeah heat hawks is uh also pretty much over it's three one now the Hawks were able to get a game, so that's pretty much in line with what I said. I had Heat in five, mostly for the series. If they weren't going to sweep, I had them in five. I figured it would be because Trey Young had a great game, and that certainly has not happened. He did have the floater uh, in the value of not calling the timeouts. I don't see all that actually watch my channel. Yeah, he did have the, the floater, took it full court. And, and got them to lead, but in terms of being able to operate in the half court, the man is in prison, bro. He's in prison, as a matter of fact. Uh, shout out, just just for the information, shout out Stat Muse. I saw that in this series, the Heat defense has held Trey Young to 24 turnovers, not held Trey Young, caused 24 turnovers and held him to 24 assists and 20 baskets. Yeah, it's it's bad. Like, there's only one possession that you really need to see. So I, before I do that, I do want to say at least shout out to the Hawks for playing better defense than they have during the season. Um, even if the score of some of these don't reflect that game one was really bad. But other than that, in the times that I've watched this series, I it feels like the effort has been there. Um, aside from sometimes where Trey Young is, has been switched or, and or put in the post on <laughs> P.J. Tucker. Uh, a lot of what I was hating about their defense throughout the regular season has seemed better and at least good enough to give themselves a shot in some of these games even this one uh game four today was competitive until probably around the second quarter where the heat just never looked back but yeah there was an absolute blitz um just to sum up this is all you need to know about this series right trey young has the ball you know trey young loves pick and roll and they even got Capella back, too. So you thought that might have made a difference. He starts that possession with PJ Tucker on him. He calls for a screen. Uh, Bam Adebayo switches onto him. So, okay, that's no good. Can't really. You're not, not going to drive by him. Not going to float a shot over him. I can pull up for three right here, but that's not really a great shot. Try to get Bam off of me. He's screened Bam. Now it's Jimmy Butler. 
<laughs> and so then he drives to the free throw line. Jimmy Butler's not going anywhere. Now you got to pass to somebody else. No offense. That, that that I'm not sure how many seconds that took, but that took a lot of time off the clock. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Trey Young is in hell, bro. If he's not pulling up for a really, really far three, he's not getting great looks consistently at all right now. It's a bad matchup for him. When uh, we were talking about, the, we did a little bit of talking about the the Hawks and the predictions, and I was saying, yeah, see, Cleveland was sweet because they got to get guys. They they were kind of confused in that pick and roll defense. They didn't really know what to do. They didn't know what they wanted to do. They didn't know what they could do. And the Heat have all three of those bases covered. And so that's basically it. If you're not getting great shooting from elsewhere, from Bogdanovich or Herder, you're not just getting great shot making from everyone else right now. The game tends to uh, not be winnable, basically. And once the Heat put Oladipo in, Oladipo had a had a run for himself in his lineup. So Oladipo is getting playoff minutes. And his value to this Heat team, I'm interested to see how much they use him. Because you know the thing where you kind of worry about the Heat down the line in terms of, well, Duncan Robinson, we're going to attack you. And Tyler Hero, we're going to attack you. Well, you can't really attack Victor Oladipo. He came in, uh, he, he got to uh, grab eight rebounds. He had four assists. At six points, not on great efficiency or anything, but the game was pretty much out of reach kind of quickly. And if you have him on the floor uh, with the with the rest of these guys who you also can't just like attack, well, it gets really interesting. I'm very much wanting to see if they play him more and if his offense comes along, because if it does, now you have a great alternative option. You have a great alternative option if you get into a series with more offensive weapons than the Hawks have. And they decide they want to start targeting and then you run a non-targetable lineup that's the value of kind of what happened there with the heat um in my opinion but yeah it looked like the hawks were maybe in the first half it looked like they were maybe going to be able to make this close and possibly tie the series they never looked back after the second quarter it was never game you can't engage trey young you can only do so much to to finesse and they're able to finesse a win and in, in game three but um the the verdict is pretty much in so far trey is has got a life sentence so uh better look next year etl you gotta you almost made the finals with this roster last year and not only is it not defensively the same but the east is so tough you're not going to be able to do it with with just trey young and a bunch of decent guys trey young's gonna he's gonna need a an actual Gonna go a guy next to him. Suddenly, like an actual guy next to him. I don't think that run that they had in 2021 is ever going to be able to be duplicated with how the East looks right now. You're gonna need more than than Young because if you can take him out uh, of a of a series, you can completely snuff his his effectiveness this way. Then, yeah, you're out of here. Well, yeah, don't have much to say about this series either because I honestly didn't feel like the stakes were ever that high in a one eight matchup. This particular one eight matchup and um. It, it's 3-1 now. It's going back to Miami. Oh, but there is a particular 1-8 matchup that is significantly more interesting. Even if it's because of bad luck. Yeah, guys, Pelican Suns is tied. <laughs> Game 4, Pelican Suns is tied. And this is yet again one of those Grizzly Wolves type series where I say, hey, not only is it tied, um... It could easily be 3-1 and not just because, oh, a couple of shots here or there. No, because like there's actual basketball things going on that can be duplicated. 
And so that that's worrisome. First of all, you're living under a rock. Yes, if you didn't watch my last podcast, I acknowledge Devin Booker is out. That is when I said I thought the series was going to get interesting because the Pelicans are doing actual basketball things. They did not win. Uh, they did not win game two by just throwing up bullshit and it going in. That's not what happened. They, they were getting quality shots. This team is also they, they've got some solid defensive concepts that they can go to. There's things that they can be exploited in. Which, if Jackson Hayes doesn't get thrown out of the game, then maybe you can cover up for those and end up going up 3-1. Let let me stop being sarcastic. What I'm talking about, specifically in Game 3, Chris Paul basically duplicated what he did in Game 1. When they were coming back, uh, Chris Paul was like, nah, we're just going to go ahead and do the same thing. We're just going to do the routine. We're going to do the dance, and and you're not going to be able to stop me. But he did that in Game 3 as well, and so they were barely able to escape. But earlier in that match, Jackson Hayes, their gigantic uh, switchable wing, or at least acceptably switchable wing, he got thrown out because he decided he wanted to tackle. Who was that? Was it Jay Crowder? I can't remember who it was, but he just came up and pushed him in his back. It was very clearly an ejection. Got ejected. Very stupid. Because once it came down to it, their options were uh, in pick and roll with with. Chris Paul, well, first it's JV, which that's just not good. Like JV is cool, but he he don't have the the lateral movement for that. And so that's open mid-range shots for Paul. He just got to snake that screen. That's easy. But your other option is Larry Nance, who uh, is coming from the Cavs when when he was on Cleveland anyways. He was part of a very solid defense. He's he's a capable defender, but especially as you saw in that game, you just didn't want him switched on to Chris Paul. So not having Jackson Hayes as an option there really hurt. And I feel like that their youth kind of lost in that game as well, because again, it just comes down. A lot of these playoff games just come down to a couple of crucial possessions. That's why you've heard me panicking for the last two months about Boston's ability. Uh, what will happen to, uh, with, with Boston's ability to keep themselves out of cold streaks just because it only takes a couple of possessions to swing an entire playoff game. Well, the end of this Pelican Suns game three uh, they at a certain point were saying, "Hey, maybe we should probably blitz this this Chris Paul this Chris Paul action because he's gonna do the same thing until we stop it. He's a veteran. He's turning 37 soon. He's just gonna keep doing this." And you got the sense that they wanted to, but they didn't. They didn't really know. They weren't really on the same page on one of those possessions. And up oh, now, Chris Paul's got a another one of those little mini jump mid range jump shots bouncing around the rim and going in like they didn't and so then they blitzed them the next play but like it was kind of would have been nice to be on the same page originally i felt like that ended up costing them chris paul practically ended up winning the suns a close game but again in that game it's literally what i said can chris paul save you and then how much can you squeeze out of everyone else how much are you using deandre ayton how much is is how many shots is cam johnson gonna hit uh, is Landry Shamick going to hit shots? Campaign going to come off and hit shots? Like You just have to find it everywhere now that Devin Booker... You have to hope you can find it from everywhere else now that you don't have Devin Booker to basically do what Brandon Ingram does at points, which is just pull up over people or find his way to his spot and create a little bit of separation. Those are really, really valuable elite talent or elite skills to have that they are just completely missing right now. And so that's how you get in game four where all of a sudden Chris Paul can't save you. He's got he's got guys picking him up uh, from the time he inbounds the ball. 
And oh, that was so fun. That game woke me up. I've been so tired because it was just so much basketball this weekend. I actually got tired. And oh, that one woke me up. Watching Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado go at it in a playoff game against the one seed like this. Incredible. Herb and Chris Paul were jawing at each other. As Chris, Chris is a, it's all in competition for him. He's a vet. So even if he's does all this shit during the game, I, I sense this is pretty, you know, fun for him. He never really gets angry. He'll talk a lot of shit and say all these things, but he doesn't ever visibly get rattled. Uh, which is, I would say, that says a lot for this game because Jose Alvarado has to be the most annoying guy you can have defending you right now in the year 2022 of our Lord, and. Paul is getting stripped and getting harassed, but his face never really changes. Although this game, that it, it clearly took them out of sorts. Uh, it couldn't be as effective. Uh, Herb, he slapped Herb in his face. I thought he was going to get thrown out for it. He, he winded up and tried to block the shot, ended up hitting Herb in his face. I've seen guys thrown out for that. They did not throw Paul out of the game for that. Um, but later on, Herb uh, hit the ground. Chris Paul tried to help him up. Herb Jones, I didn't even see him. Act like he didn't even... No, he was there waiting for his teammate to come pick him up. I like it. I like the competition. This is great stuff. And Jose sent Chris Paul to the bench. The game was basically it was pretty much over, but he got one of his steals that are quickly becoming famous where he's in the backcourt and he runs up behind you and takes the ball. I can't. I, I don't know how many times in my life I've ever seen Chris Paul have the ball taken from him. <clears throat> Not a pass. I've seen passes happen like he's made a bad pass before. But to have his handles actually stripped, I don't know if I've seen that. I don't know how many times I've seen it. But Jose Alvarado did it, and he brought a, just a substantial amount of energy to this game that you cannot underrate. Uh, the full court pressure gave Chris Paul an eight second violation. Like th these are legit things that just don't happen to Chris Paul. <laughs> They're happening by Jose Alvarado. This is a guy that you would expect that, that, that would you just find in the G League. He's doing these things to Chris Paul in the playoffs. Incredible. Herb Jones is making defensive rotation, blocking jump shots, but not while they're in the guy's hand. When they've left the hand, you know, shots get high really quick. On when the arc starts, it goes up real quick, especially for people with high release points. Blocked the I don't can't remember who he blocked the first time. Second time he blocked campaign, and this is Herb Jones shading over to help, and then running back to the wing to contest the three, but to get a piece of it and block it. That was one, and the the first one I believe he was involved in in screen action or in a, in a screen a pick and roll, uh, off a of blitz or whatever it was. Either way, he made his trip from that action to the uh to the right corner like literally ran from that action to the right corner and and blocked what otherwise for anybody else would have been an open three just incredible stuff and i don't want to give off the energy of those people that you find in a famous a now famous rappers comment section they're like oh i found them first but those of y'all who listen to the domcast just y'all know about herb right we, we talked about herb plenty Throughout this season, I have had I've been standing Herb Jones for a minute on this podcast. So if you're a longtime listener, this is a full circle moment. He's gone from very interesting defender on a team that probably won't make the playoffs to legitimately giving the one seed problems. This is beautiful to watch. Come a long way from that day that Donovan Mitchell absolutely cooked him. <laughs> I, I only remember that because on the watch party we did, somebody was saying uh, Herb Jones about to lock D Mitch up, and I had to remind him uh, D Mitch. 
beat that man like he stole something at some point in this season. But anyways, yes, Herb is growing up right in front of our eyes. And him and Jose Alvarado did. They they just had a lot of game-changing plays there. Um, Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum, your tough shot makers, especially Brandon Ingram. They have legitimate things going on. Like, Brandon Ingram getting to his spot and shooting over an outstretched hand, that's a thing that they do. CJ McCollum, you know, getting in his bag or curling off a screen or whatever and getting an open three-pointer, those are things that they do. Uh, those aren't things that are just going to go away or they just got lucky a couple of times. This energy from these these rookies, those are things that they do. Defense is their thing. And so these are things they can duplicate, which is why this series can go either way. Devin Booker is not coming back. I don't know why I, I saw posts about that, unless he's going to try to force it, which I hadn't heard any news from that. The only news we've had is that he's not coming back. And so... Oh man, like, bro, I'm I'm just sitting here imagining a possible world where we're lighting a Grizzlies and Suns pack in the first round. It that seems way too crazy to be true. I just don't, man. I think the Suns are more at risk. Obviously, not having Devin Booker, they're a little bit more at risk, and the Pelicans don't have anything to lose. <laughs> they don't have anything to lose. If they lose the next two games by twenty, it's like, oh, well, that's disappointing. Good. Yeah, compared to what happened in these other games, but also it's it's a team that like barely got here too. So the expectations for them are going to be sky high. Going into game five, like I think you're gonna see them do try to the same things that they they tried here in terms of the pressure on Chris Paul, not letting him comfortably walk to his spots, having Herb Jones on him, having Jose Alvarado on him, and. Uh, Keeping if they have to have JV on the floor, keeping him out of out of actions where he is susceptible to Chris Paul jump shots. And the Suns, if Paul is not like Booker's already gone, if Paul doesn't give you 20 plus, where is your where is it going to come from? man? Where is it going to come from? There's and it, the playoffs are different, bro. I'm not sure where the rest of this comes from. If Paul doesn't at least start you off with that. Did he, did, are the rumors true? Like, I, I watched the game, but I was so enthralled with the rookies. Yeah, Paul had four points tonight, man. <laughs> he was two of eight. He had four points. Uh, he's two of eight. Aiden had 23, so that's, a lot of it would have to come from there. They got to use him as more than just a screen and roll guy. Like, I think they're really going to have to work, really going to have to work with Aiden. Miles Bridges only had eight. He was four of 11. Cam Johnson was only four of 12. Um... Like JaVale McGee had 14 points, fam. He hit a he and he didn't miss, by the way. He also hit took a mid-range jump shot. Like, this is what life is like for the Suns right now. They are gonna have to scrounge. From after Aiden and Paul, they are going to just have to scrounge. Meanwhile, you know what you're getting from Ingram. You know what you you can get from CJ, who by the way was eight of twenty-one, so not a not a great night for him, but you know what CJ's capable of, and they're gonna try. Hell, JV had 26 and fucking 15 and the only three he took was very important. Shout out to four podcasts ago when I said JV only takes the threes that he needs. That one, they were up six. They were leaving wide open. There it is. He can shoot. He just doesn't have to shoot a whole lot. Um, And then there was another possession where JV just, just looked at Aiden and called him food. So back down, spun, got deep into the post, put one up, tipped it in. Uh, hey, man. Like... <laughs> Oh, God, don't let the Suns go out in the first round. That would be mighty, mighty unfortunate. 
Uh, we got a couple more series to discuss here. It seems I, I, I seem to have skipped it. No, I didn't. Cool. Um, yeah, a couple more series to discuss. Philly and Toronto is going to a game five. Uh, just like I didn't really have much to say about it before. I mean, Scotty Barnes is back, so cool. Um, I had already talked about game three on the pods. So they were unable to close out. I don't have much to say about it. I am assuming Philly is still going to win. I did just want to point out Harden is still uh, not scoring good. He's not, he's not shooting well. It's five of 17 in that game. It's two of eight. My point in bringing that up is not just make fun of Harden and get the brick Ross bit off. It's not that. It's just like this is as a whole. It's been going on pretty much for the like a month now, pretty much. Well, first of all, it's been going on all season, but then he got the Philly and he had a couple of good games. These shooting nights, though, are pretty clumped together. And while they will probably beat Toronto, they will be playing Miami next round where already not shooting well. And now he's going to have to deal with a, a highly switchable defense. Um, and I'm not sure how many looks he's going to even get, how many opportunities he's even going to get in the paint in a series against the Miami Heat. I'm here also a really good team. I just don't feel like an average shooting James Harden is going to be enough to get the job done. On top of that, by the way, Joel Embiid has torn ligaments in his thumb, which he will have surgery on after the season, whenever that may be. So just keep an eye on that and possibly how that affects his shooting. But, you know, he's here. He's playing through it. So it's just about his pain tolerance. And yeah, that's uh, just those two notes. Uh, Embiid's health. Technically Harden's health. And uh, yeah, look, if Toronto wins, I'll, I'll discuss that series. Seriously, just because... They win that game, it's going to be a fever pitch, right? Just that that builds up every game because everyone wants the first 0-3 comeback ever to involve Doc Rivers and James Harden. Maybe Joel Embiid at this point, but mostly <laughs> Doc Rivers and James Harden. People are are just waiting to light that pack. I, it's not, I highly doubt that's going to happen. Um, Yeah, Sixers and Raptors just... I, I, I After the first two games, it really... I was never really that interested. Kind of disappointed me. I was much more interested in Boston and Brooklyn. Did you know that there's only one team in the playoffs that doesn't have a playoff win so far? That is the Brooklyn Nets. Oh boy, where do I start with this one? Where do I start? Well, I discussed games one and two already. Remember my original prediction was Boston and six. That was literally just assuming that Ky they were going to be able to win a game or two off of the strength of Kyrie and KD, but... Um, I mean, I can kind of go on taking my victory lap at this point and going, I'm not sure if people were mad at me when I, in the predictions, when I said the Nets hadn't impressed me as a team down the stretch of the season. Um, but I told y'all, I, I, am I watch, I watch these games. I pay attention. I told you Kyrie hadn't been shooting that great down the stretch. The depth bothered me. They had things that were exploitable and all of those came together. And on top of that, KD is just lost. He's a lost soul series. That is the only part that I didn't really bring up uh, in a prediction because I would have never tried to strike gold by saying, oh yeah, this is this is the series that KD is going to be terrible in. There was no reason for me to do that. He finished the season playing really well. And while I thought that Boston's defense could give him problems because of having two non-shooters on the court, I didn't think his aggressiveness was going to go down with it. 
Game three might be the most questionable one because he was hitting his shots at a point. He was three of five. Uh, he was hitting some looks that he didn't, he hadn't been hitting in the series. And we're just going, okay, why isn't he shooting more? Not that, oh, just shoot over double teams or anything like that, but he wasn't really being assertive. He wasn't looking for his shot the way that he normally does. And it came out in multiple possessions. One of them uh, in the second half, he's uh, he's dribbling to the left. He's dribbling down the, by the left wing. And that's normally where he just takes a pull-up because KD is more than capable of hitting tough pull-ups, especially over just one guy. Instead, he passes Kyrie Irving the grenade. And I was just like, oh, wow. Instead of taking a shot that he's made a million times, he passed it off and it was a shot clock violation. Uh, he passed off uh, some shots in that game that he would normally take. They just turned into turnovers. He just hadn't gotten to the rim this series, which would be tough anyways, but... He just is not, it's it's Slim Reaper is what we're used to. We used to see him just dribbling the ball up and looking for a shot. And if he's not going to shoot the ball, at least making the defense work. Which brings me to the point in that game that I was really, really confused at. It was in the third quarter, because Brooklyn was, has been able to hang around. And there's a point where Steve Nash made an adjustment. They flattened the floor for, for KD. They had KD with the ball at the top. Yeah, Patty Mills in the right corner. Yeah, Kyrie in the left. Okay, now all of a sudden, Boston can't just send a, a simple double team to him and play off of somebody. It's a lot harder. Eventually, you can you can get some help, but this is a lot harder to do because there's shooters in the corner. So now KD has more time to set up a one-on-one -on -one shot. He has more time to set up a look. They ran that for two plays, and then they went right back to giving him the ball in the mid-post area where he's been getting doubled and, and trapped and seeing help the entire series i need that explained to me like i'm five i i we were doing the watch party for that one and i i took my little wilder glasses off which are actually streamer glasses because your boy is is frying his eyes doing computer work these days i was just like bro i don't get what the nets are doing here because i actually got scared for a second by that point the game had been brought to probably two possessions and I was going, oh, damn, they didn't figure out how to get KD the ball. They didn't figure out how to get him better looks right as the game is close. So with KD at the ball at the top, and it's much harder to send help. That gives him just enough time to start getting looks or at least draw help in a position that we're uncomfortable with. Emi Udoka called a timeout, but and, and I'm assuming it was to adjust to that. However, he was going to adjust to it. But he didn't. they didn't even have to do anything. That went right back to feeding Boston the, the easy defensive sets i i don't i don't get that one i don't get that one at all i felt like they probably should have done that in game two or game one i i don't know that should have been an just an in-game adjustment they made a while ago and not just not necessarily just have kd iso from the top for the rest of the series or this is how they're playing basketball now but not putting him in the same position where he struggled I don't know. That's that's just what I thought. And so at a certain point, I just kind of stopped fearing this squad because sure, Kyrie's going to hit a tough leaning fader or jumper near the paint every now and then, or even maybe a lot, but that's not going to win them a series. That's not going to win them a series. Only way it would have won them games was if he and KD were doing things like that just all the time. And uh, yeah, they, they haven't and they weren't and they are down 3-0. Steve Nash brought in Blake Griffin, and that's 
That would damn near might as well have been a white flag. You know what that was like? That was like the part of, of a Dragon Ball Z fight. Bring in Black, Blake Griffin. Like the part of a DBZ fight where the heroes start getting the best of the bad guy for like a little bit. And then they go back to getting dragged. Blake Griffin came in, hit a couple of threes. And then Boston was just like, oh, okay, bet. So you, you want Blake Griffin out here to infuse energy into your team? Well, he's going to have to play defense too. And he hasn't seen a basketball court in a while. So let's see. Let's see what he can do. Jalen Brown, ISOed, and Blake doesn't have those defensive utilities. All right now, the, the athleticism is not even there anymore, so there will be no recovery blocks, none of that. That made JB aggressive. That made him as aggressive as I kind of always want him. Not that I want him to be the first option all the time, just it was just frustrating to me to see Curry and Kyrie on him and him you know, kind of deferring. But anyways, once Blake Griffin got on him, he was like, oh, no. <laughs> He was like, nah, that, that's not that's not what we're doing here, actually. Uh, if you thought it was, it's not. And you can bring LaMarcus out here, too. He can come get this work, but no. <laughs> and so the Blake experiment seemed cool for a second, and it just it, it wasn't enough. Uh, so Boston is up 3-0. The Nets are honestly kind of laid down after game two. When Kyrie, and that was on the last pod, I talked about it. When Kyrie was saying the stuff about, oh, well... This is their time. This is their window. It's like, dude, you're in the middle of a competitive series. What are you talking about? You this is they asked Jose Alvarado to praise Chris Paul last game when they lost. And he was like, Yeah, see, I'm I'm guarding him right now, so I'm gonna wait to praise him. You don't praise the other team until it's it's over. And even then, you don't do things like DeMar DeRozan did a couple of years ago when he said if we had LeBron, we would have won. That's when I knew it was over for that particular Toronto group. Um, so yeah, and after this game, he said, well, yeah, this is nothing like being down 3-1 to, uh, the Warriors. This is nothing like that. There's a lot of differences. In other words, we, we're not coming back. Like there's no 3-0 comeback here. And originally the Nets were saying, Hey, Ben Simmons is about to make his debut, but they determined after game four that, Oh, actually his back is sore. So he can't play. Um, fam, but look, a lot of people were clowning it and this, that, and the other thing. It's common sense. If they did not win game three, Ben Simmons was not going to come back to a 3-0 series as his first game back. What For what? What reason? What reason would you possibly bring him back to a series you know you cannot win just so he can get injured? Which is why I don't understand what Reggie Miller was talking about and all the uproar over it. Reggie Miller wrote a whole tweet about him quitting on his team. Stephen A said he quit. It fully, I get mad at Ben Simmons for everything that happened with the Philly saga and how he basically just skipped an entire season. Yeah, cool. But... The whole, like, what, what did y'all, I, I I feel like it's fake anger. I really do feel like it's fake anger because he he's not that guy. He's not going to win Brooklyn this series. It's literally only putting him at risk. Uh, and he's a, he is a very important asset for them right now. Whether he ever plays a game for them or not, Ben Simmons is an important asset that you don't want out there suffering some dumb injury in a, in a game you're losing by 20 or 30. I Other than, like, your pride and doing your job, I just don't understand why anybody thought he was going to play. In game four after they went down. Now, if you want to be mad, be mad about the fact that they pretty much cleared him to play game four, which is a, a day like we played game three yesterday, right? That's when we watched game three. Uh, so game three was yesterday. And so today's Sunday and tomorrow's game four. If they knew he was going to play on Monday, why could he not have played on Saturday, which was the more important game? That's that's where I'm like, uh, that's that's kind of sus. Probably they didn't want the pressure of him. They don't probably didn't want the pressure of him turning around a series, which probably wasn't going to happen, even though he could have helped. 
Um, but yeah, they didn't do it. That would have been the game to bring him back. So, and if they would have won game three, he'd probably been back game four. But they didn't win, so his back is sore. That's that's Boston and and uh, and Brooklyn for you. This has been a defensive masterclass. If I can read you some stats that I retweeted, Jason Tatum has had a lot of possessions on your boy KD. And KD is struggling in those minutes. Yes, Jason Tatum defending Kevin Durant. Uh, 27 minutes and one second of matchup time. 121 possessions. KD has scored 10 points. 2 of 15 on the field goals. That's 13.3%. 0 for 4 for 3. 10 turnovers, 2 blocks, and 2 shooting fouls. Yeah. KD is uh had issues. Um, as far as like the discourse on that, the only thing I'm going to say about it is I don't get why people are all of a sudden, I, the one narrative I don't get, or the one talking point I don't get is the whole thing about him leaving Golden State because we knew him leaving Golden State was, there was no better basketball move for him than being in Golden State. Just pure basketball wise. We knew that. But we didn't want him there. Remember, we spent two or three years kicking and screaming about Golden State being unfair and then making the league not fun. So I'm glad he's gone. I'm not about to tweet, damn, he should have never left. I am so glad he left. Do you not see the playoff bracket right now? Do you not see how fun this is? We don't actually know who's going to win. Sure, we can start making conclusions or jumping to conclusions that, oh, uh, the Warriors are back and they'll probably be back. But at the end of the day, it's nothing like when they had Kevin Durant. And so I'm just not about to do the whole thing and act like we didn't get on Twitter every single day and try to make that man leave until he did. <laughs> um, that's I'm telling y'all, there's a superstar out there that's keeping an eye on y'all that wants to do the same thing KD did. And he's just chilling in the cut like, oh, they're going to clown me either way. All right, but I'm going to go where I want to go. I'm going to stay there for 10 years and y'all are just going to go watch golf. They're just going to go watch cricket instead. Yeah, so that... um yeah, other than that, I, I don't, I'm not really that interested in the narrative talk. Katie's playing like a thunderstruck. Uh, for me, it comes down to really simple stuff about the whole if it was LeBron thing. It's like, well, it's not LeBron, and y'all have made that very clear. Like, KD is not LeBron. He's not been called the second greatest player of all time, so therefore he's not judged like it. We knew this. We, LeBron's always been all-time rankings. He's been above KD for quite some time. I just, I don't know. Uh, anyways, hopefully we bring out the brooms tomorrow. I would love to be the only team with the sweep under their belt. Gosh, I think there's only one series left, y'all. <laughs> the Bulls and Bucks. Well, guess what didn't happen? Uh, yeah, what didn't happen was the the ultra competitive fiery series uh, where the champions potentially go out in the first round. That didn't happen. No, um, the Bulls they tried to finesse. Sorry, the Bucks. Tried to finesse Chicago in game two. I documented my all my takes on that. Um, that and without Chris Middleton, I was thinking, oh well, damn, we might have a series now. Chicago is is go they got what they liked. They were competitive for two games. Middleton is out. The Bucks don't seem focused. Uh, this could be interesting. And then went to Chicago and it was not interesting. <laughs> not interesting at all. Um, first of all, taking Middleton out, they brought in Sharpshooter. Ray Allen, better known as Grayson Allen. Yeah, the man is averaging an absurd number of points for Grayson Allen to be averaging. He is shooting an absurdly high percentage from three. 
Uh, you plugged him in, he's hitting his shots. The double teams that you are forced to bring out to Giannis, who is an elite passer, um, to a to a spaced floor just isn't really good for business. And DeRozan, and both DeRozan and Levine really haven't been uber effective. So game two, DeRozan was able to, to walk to his spots. The Bucks started using some of Drew Holiday on DeRozan. He's able to navigate some screens. DeRozan's trying to get to his spot, um, and there's like a like a, a screen to get him to his spot, and Drew Holiday's like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go over it. I'm going to go over it and follow him. So <laughs> there's that. But even then, um, yeah, a lot of those tough looks, especially in game four, a lot of those tough looks uh, that DeRozan normally hits didn't fall he hadn't been able to assert his dominance at all he just has not been able to assert his dominance he started taking some more threes he he just never got to the point that he was at in game two which was pretty much where he was at during the regular season so that's one of the best games he had against a good team was game two and um they the bulls were getting a lot of good shots based out of that and Maybe they could have done something similar, but the problem is the Bucks came out and took those games, these two games, seriously. So by some way through the second quarter, both of these, the Bucks were in firm control of both of these. And so there was never even a chance for it to matter if uh, if DeRozan could get could get lathered up, basically. Like when you're already down 10 or 15 points and you're trying to come back from by mid-range shots and the Bucks are hitting from three, that's one thing. Oh, another problem. Giannis starting at a th as a three in these lineups. And so uh, you have Giannis, Bobby Portis, and Brooke Lopez on the floor all at the same time. Giannis getting in the three bag. We ain't seen that. It feels like we haven't seen that consistently. And uh, so, yeah, no, no, no work in the paint. <laughs> the, the crazy part about that is that's a that's a pretty big lineup to have in the modern NBA. And it still had shooting. And so, yeah, Giannis is not the shooter, but Portis is shooting, Lopez is shooting. Literally everyone on the court outside of Giannis is shooting, and they and they have a big lineup. So that's just kind of tough. Uh, nothing's happening in the paint. And then the Bulls just are totally incapable of dealing with Giannis. So, again, I felt like there was less finesse, whereas in Game 2, they were just trying to get Giannis to basically... Like, really, Game 2 pisses me off so bad, because it really just felt like the Bucks were just there and just trying to get this over with as quick as possible. And so you ever you ever play spammers online when you play like 2K and they just take the best player and try to do everything with them. And a lot of that game felt like that for game two. Um, it felt better, way better pace. Both of these games to Chicago, you see Giannis in the post area. Um, they bring a double and he either splits a double because they really don't have the defense to, to bother him that much or he just passes it and somebody hits a shot and the game gets out of hand very quickly. So Giannis is doing Giannis things. The shooters are doing shooting things. And it seems that the Bucks and Celtics are on a collision course. Uh, what was my original prediction for Bucks and Bulls? I said, yeah, I said just because I felt like uh, I felt like uh, DeRozan could get them a game. I did say if they didn't sweep, I pretty much just had this being a five-game series. I'd be surprised the way these last two games went. I'd be really surprised if Chicago got into some untapped bag and was able to make this next one competitive. As long as Drew Holiday isn't doing stupid stuff like shooting threes multiple feet behind the line while Giannis has a clear mismatch. And as long as uh, they just don't try a run and dunk man strategy again, they should be able to close this out pretty quickly. However, Chris Middleton is still at this at this rate, this series being over quickly, Boston series being over quickly 
at this rate, it feels like Bucks and Celtics is going to happen at least partially without Chris Middleton. I think the absence is going to end up mattering. Chicago, not great at defense. Uh, the offense doesn't get going that quick. Boston, the way they play defense, y'all see it. Y'all see what they just did to, to the Nets. Okay, so yes, the Bucks are going to space the floor, but also I think it gets really interesting not having Chris Middleton out there. And now you've got to draw up defense on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Um, that gets that gets interesting super quickly. And I am looking forward to it. But no predictions yet. Let's let them actually finish that series. As I have pretty much finished this pod, just make sure I didn't do anything stupid like skip any of these series. I had more to say about some than others, but it looks like I have covered everything. Yeah. Monday, this spot is dropping on a Monday. Celtics hopefully take care of business. We'll see if Toronto can get NBA Twitter fired up. And I will be doing a watch party for the Jazz and Mavericks since that is at a game five and Luka is back now. Because I was already interested in it without Luka, but I didn't think anybody else would be interested in it uh, without him enough to do a watch party. But now I, I want to do a watch party for it. So I will be doing that. Guess it on Twitch. Well, I hope you all are enjoying the playoffs as much as I am. If you are, hit the like button, rate it on whatever uh, platform you are watching on. First round is nearly over. We are that much closer to losing basketball for another six months. Well, NBA basketball anyways. Plenty of other stuff going on outside of that. Should be fun. Going to be a fun playoffs. Phoenix, Memphis, watch your back. 